You can listen to The Professional Left on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There is a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. This is the podcast for September 30th, 2016. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from the last place on planet Earth, not contractually obligated to broadcast Hugh Hewitt, it's the professional left with Driftglass and Blue Gal and not Hugh Hewitt. No sniffling. Sniff. No, we're not going to sniffle. No, we're not going to do any sniffling or cocaine sounds or whatever that was. Really? That seems yeah. very um, unfair to our listeners. To <laughs> I didn't want to watch Sunday night. I was just like, okay, I just can't. <laughs> this is so unfair that she is walking into the lion's den not knowing whether the lion has been given – psychotropic drugs, yeah. Yeah. a downer, <laughs> you know, a teleprompter lecture mm -hmm. has been practicing one-liners a la Marco Rubio to just repeat back so that he's under control or whether he's just going to be the same Trump he was in the primary debates. Right. Insulting. Yeah. And when you don't, and that is so unfair, that is just, uh, that's unfair to our democracy. That's unfair to her. It's unfair to the viewers. And uh, the fact that we just have this completely unprofessional, unqualified, crazy person. Pathological on, lying hamburglar. Pathological I lying hamburglar, as <laughs> one commenter said, yes. <laughs> uh, and there is no there there. There's no, you know, if you're going to argue, uh, with a supply cider or a uh, religious right person. Yeah. But it doesn't seem to me that Trump is really for anything except Trump. And how he was going to behave was just not a predictable variable at that point. And well, and I want to be clear. Mm -hmm. Um it's debates are should always be unpredictable, and we don't we don't really have presidential debates anyway. We have dueling press conferences where right, right, right. two people who've memorized a series of responses to questions and zingers stand up and take each other on more or less. Um, there's no there's no real actual debate going on. Speaking as someone who was a high school debater many 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 years ago, um, but this was a case where it wasn't that. Donald Trump's policy positions were unclear. It's that he's insane. Yeah. And there is absolutely no way to predict how a crazy person is going to behave in front of 84 million people. Right. And what right. was fascinating was to watch the news media try to construct a narrative around this completely deranged circus freak act that didn't involve well we because it was it was one of those occasions where they had no idea what was going to happen mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i'm sure as far as television ratings go that's great but as far as democracy go that's terrible because one of the two people on stage was a prepared competent public servant who has some deep flaws and uh 
people have reservations about her policy and her past and so on and so forth. One of them is a lunatic who has a, who is on stage because there are 20 million lunatics in this country who love everything about him and don't care. I mean, you can go down the entire list of, of policies. You can go down deficits or character or foreign policy, everything that Republicans claim to have believed or cared about in the past. Donald Trump is the opposite of that. They don't care because they're crazy. So it, it wasn't a debate so much it was, as it was an attempt to wrestle a crazy person to the ground. Okay, well, I want to disagree with you a little bit. All right. Um, in that I don't think that this was a flawed candidate uh, who came prepared. I think this was an incredibly competent candidate who came over prepared. Yeah. And she and the both siderists, I first of all, the thing that I came away with from this debate yeah. was a tremendous sense of gratitude to our listeners. Yes. Who flooded our Twitter streams with did you no notice the New York Times tweet? Did you notice right. the meet the meet the press tweet? Uh -huh. Those two tweets which were both, well, on the one hand, Donald Trump wasn't prepared. On the other hand, Hillary Clinton was overprepared. Exactly. And In real time, there, yep. In real time. This was right after the debate. This was a snap reaction, was let's fall into our both-siders safe place. And I just wanted to say a big, huge thank you to our listeners who send us stuff like that. It's not, uh, you know... We're both pretty wired into things and often catch things like that. But my goodness, it just feels so good to know that you guys have our back and that we won't miss something because of you guys. So thank you for that. Uh -huh. um, I'm at Blue Gal on Twitter, by the way. And Riff Glass, you are at Mr. MR underscore Electric Co. And that's because someone took Drift Glass and that person is a very nice person. So don't worry about that. Yes. But uh we will get those uh, tweets if you send them to us, and we do read them, and we do appreciate them very much. Uh, but I think that there were a lot of women who have sat in boardrooms or in interviews with asshole male managers mm -hmm. <laughs> who come in, you know, five minutes late to the meeting, and the meeting doesn't start until they get there. Right. And you have your binder, and you have a, you have an agenda printed out, and you have your documentation, and you have your PowerPoint slides in right, the right order, mm -hmm. and everything is all set up, and you've made coffee. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you're, I'm serious. You're this completely not... prepared in every way. And the guy comes in, and yeah, how you doing, Fred? Yeah, great golf game on Saturday. I almost, I almost, uh, you know, fell in the trap a couple times, but I got out and da da da. And then, you know, you, you are their equal, and that you're supposed to be grateful for that because you're their equal, even though you spent all weekend getting this presentation ready. Right. And so, I think there were a lot, and I noticed this on Twitter as well. A, a lot of women looked at this debate and said, "Yeah, this is my experience. Yeah. This is this is when." The woman who is completely 1,000% competent uh -huh. is equal to the guy who comes in with a hangover right. and is not able, to, by the end of the debate, to put three words together in a coherent fashion. Right. And, you come, and you come out of that and meet the fucking press says, well, on the one hand and on the other hand. Oh, yeah. No, no, it was Chuck Todd. Judgment. 
Chuck Todd said, you know, it, it exposed Trump's lack of preparedness, but Clinton seemed overprepared. Yeah, right. And the right. New York Times. Like, the, you, like you can be overprepared to be president of the United right. States, right? And the New York Times, you know, same yeah. night. It was yeah. Arthur Brooks, you know, the reasonable conservative from the American Enterprise Institute, who was saying that they both fell into the rut that reinforced both their stereotypes. Uh-huh. Because uh-huh. that's the fucking narrative we're going to have, boys and girls, and yeah. we're not going to yep. let any facts get in the way that's the part that is um uh hilarious to me and maddening at the uh, same well, yeah I'm, I'm, i mean it's maddening but it's been maddening for you know for so long decades. you kind of dulled it's, the pain yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay they're, they're gonna do this again the- but i didn't i will tell you the pain was not dulled for me before that debate started i had a dream the night before that i was on a roller coaster and had no uh restraints had yeah. no seat buckle seat belt buckle or anything tying me to the seat and that I was going to go on this ride Mm -hmm. that I was for sure going to fall out of. And I woke up and told you about this and you're like, Oh, no symbolism there. (laughs) Sometimes a roller coaster is just a roller coaster. A roller coaster that you are unsafe on is just a roller coaster. And then I lit up that giant cigar and uh... yeah, I know I didn't have that drink. (laughs) Um, But, but but yeah, I didn't want to watch. I was really not, I wanted to turn it off and uh, of course, Junior Dude yeah. had to have it on. This, have it. I want to watch it. And he wanted to talk about Kennedy versus Nixon. And he wanted to talk about, uh, you know, just all the debates that had ever happened. Because he'd looked them all up and read about them and what's different about this one. And, and uh, that's it's exciting to see that happening, you oh. know, in in uh, young minds, young minds that discovering this kind of of. Uh, wonkiness which yep. he's going to have his whole life and i you know we don't know where he got that but <laughs> well and, and there's a there's a uh, first of all we don't disagree because he uh, donald trump is the asshole son of the boss yeah who comes staggering yep. in 20 minutes late puts his feet up mm-hmm. on the desk falls asleep throws up in the wastebasket gets the promotion it's the promotion because yeah. that's yeah. how we do things and of course you can do all the work but mm-hmm. he's going to collect all the glory and accolades and the big house and the pension because that's how the world works, honey. Get mm-hmm. used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also the fuck you spite liberal candidate. He's mm-hmm. also the yeah. we don't give yeah. a shit about anything. You know all that stuff because we get, talk- job in politics is to make liberals mad and that's it. Right, that's it. We don't yep. obviously we don't give a shit about deficits. We don't care about foreign policy. We don't care about the past. We don't care about the Iraq war that we voted for and supported. We don't care about character, which is how, why we impeached Bill Clinton. Obviously, we don't care about any of the things we've been saying all these years that we care deeply about. So once, like Sherlock Holmes said, once you eliminate the impossible, what mm-hmm. you have left is the Republican Party. Yep. yep. And what's left is a bunch of vicious, small-minded, angry, stupid white men who just hate the world and hate liberals and hate women and hate brown people. And Donald Trump is a big orange middle finger at everyone else on the face of the earth. Because there are also there are also a, a significant number of terrified older women, older white women in that sure. camp. Also, yeah, I'll give you that. But the the and let's I think we should get on to the actual debate. Right, debate. we should. But I do and, want to mention that there's this weird there's this uh, the thing that makes me laugh and and with delight and bitterness and delight and bitterness is <laughs> the contrast between. Chuck Todd saying, well, you know, overprepared and underprepared, both sides, both sides. New York Times, Arthur Brooks saying this stupid thing, this, look, we have a narrative, people, 
And whatever happens in the world, we're sticking with that fucking narrative. So stop mm -hmm. bothering us with the facts. That's mm -hmm. the same Chuck Todd that today yep. just about shit his pants because a Trump supporter looked right in his face and lied and lied and lied. And Chuck Todd is, go is like, dude, you know the stuff that's coming out of your mouth is a lie. Why do you keep saying it? And I just want to say, Chuck, you know the narrative you're promoting is bullshit. Why do you keep doing it? You're just as bad, Chuck Todd. You're just as horrid as the people across from you that you're looking down your nose at because you're just as committed to your fake bullshit narrative that's wrecking this country. That's what Except I, I, think, I think what's happening with Chuck Todd and also happened with Megyn Kelly today as well um, when she interviewed Kellyanne Conway. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Um, and she interviewed Kellyanne Conway and she said that uh, – and Kellyanne Conway uh, – said, well, I don't understand why Hillary Clinton is running all these negative ads. Yeah. And I th I think what's happening is Chuck Todd and, and Megyn Kelly and cable news in general accepts a certain amount of bullshit mm -hmm. from surrogates and from campaign staff because th that's the puppet show, right? Right, exactly. And so there's a puppet show where you have the Republican on, you have the Democrat on, they yell each other, they yell over each other much more on CNN than on other networks. That's mm -hmm. definitely the party that's going on there. But there are rules. And one of the rules is that there is a professionalism that says, uh, I understand the game as it's played. Right. And I don't pretend to not understand the game as it's played. Right. And what the Trump surrogates and staffers are doing this week is saying, oh, no, that's not the game. No. The game is Donald Trump wins or it's rigged. Right. That's the that's the, the rules. And those are not the rules for Chuck Todd. And, and I'm not saying that what I'm saying is Chuck Todd's rules and Megyn Kelly's rules are just as bullshit. Right. But they're established rules. So. And, well, and um, now, can I add one more thing to that? Mm -hmm. Chuck Todd's rules, such as they are, and they are Kogi Roberts' rules and David Brooks' right. rules, right. are are made of a material that has made it impossible for them to see that we win or the game is rigged right. has been the Republican rule. Is the logic, right. That's the logical the, consequence, right. The, his ver the, the very construct they use to, to create the narrative that they're going to fucking well sell and live within, and they all kind of agree by common quiet consensus and because their bosses tell them to that this is how we're going to run this kind of news mm -hmm. show because it's not a news show um, is the very thing that has completely blinded them to the fact the Republican Party is out of its mind because right. it, it, that narrative can't conceptualize that that one party is nuts but well yeah, this is why meet the press for how how many years it said well it takes 60 votes to pass anything right. in which the is, senate right which it which doesn't, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it takes 51 votes unless you filibuster everything and everything who, yes and, and no one says that anymore and you know in dc politics no one says anymore because we have moved that goalpost right yeah this is this is it it's always been punch and judy yeah but yeah. someone has shown up with punch and judy uh with a machine gun yeah, and said, yeah. well, instead of a stick, I'm just going to shoot everything in the studio. I'm going to blow everything up in the studio because that's the aggressive nature of the game we play. And Chuck Todd is simply not recognizing the, the face of the beast he helped create. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It, it, he can't because yeah. it's it's in, because he would have to walk off in the ocean with rocks in his pocket. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing that brought this all to a head was, of course, the debate itself, which was a monumental beatdown um, that was uh, astonishing to watch, really. Um, 
I've never seen anything like it. The only thing I can compare it to in, in a more benign way is back when I was a high school debater. Um, we debated some school, I think it was New Trier East, I'm not sure. It was many years ago. Um, they picked a couple of kids who had obviously never even heard of the word debate. Um, scraped them together, handed them a bunch of paper, and thrown them into a classroom. And they had no idea what to do. Uh, there's there's rules and there's timings and you give a speech and you rebut and you have a cross-examination and so forth. And it wasn't that they were arguing poorly. It's that they had no fucking idea what they were doing at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. about 10 minutes, 15 minutes into the round, the judge said, okay, we're stopping this. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Because it would be a waste of everyone's time to continue this. Um, Drift Glass's team is going to win. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, mm -hmm. period. There's, there's no debate going on here at all. Right. One side has facts, etc. So let's devote the next hour and a half to a productive discussion of how debate works. Yep. And it was really a very kind thing to do. Yeah, I've been to mo to moot court things where that's happened too, yeah. where the, it's clear that one side just does not understand the hearsay rule. Right. And so the judge, who's a college professor, who's right. a law professor, says, you know what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> They've won. So let's talk about hearsay for the next 45 minutes. Exactly. Yeah, so that, exactly. that and that's a, that's a teaching opportunity, right? Exactly. And and I, that's what should have happened at this debate. And, right? and, and, and that is the last time I remember seeing a mismatch mm -hmm. this wildly inappropriate yeah. Um, yeah. in front of 83 million people. And we did not turn it off, by no, the way. I think no. that was something that they were hoping for the sake of balance was, well, if you only watch the first half of that debate, you know, Trump did pretty well on the trade issue. And no, no one essentially of the 80 million that watched, there are very few uh, didn't stick through it to the end. So um, that was not a help to Trump. And, and let me tell you one other way this is different than high school debate. Mm -hmm. Halfway through this um, beatdown, mm -hmm. which if it was a fight, the ref would have called it. The ref would have stopped it after three rounds. It would have, no, 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 this is brutal. Um, in a high school debate, even in, in the occasion I talked about where it was stopped, at no point during the debate when you're losing really bad mm -hmm. um, is your next thought, I wonder how I can rig this so retroactively it will appear that I won this. Yep. But yep. about 20 minutes into this, when it was clear that this guy was going to get his clock cleaned, Mm -hmm. And he kept walking into rake after rake after rake. I mean, she was just strewing the ground with big fluorescent colored grenades, and he kept flopping his big orange yep. ass yep. on each one yep. of them. Um, my mind went. I was I was uh, I was blogging this in real time, so that's all my reactions up on my blog. But sadly, it was. I wonder how they're going to lie about this. Uh huh. I wonder uh -huh. what the narrative will be tomorrow and the next day and the next day in in the in the press, on New York Times, on cable, and especially among the Trump people. How are they going to lie their way out of this? Because it is no longer possible to imagine that they will ever say anything true. Right. Right. And it is no longer possible to imagine that cable news hosts will just say, "All right, you've pissed in my mouth for 16 months now." I'm not going to have you on my show anymore. That's yep. it. I'm done. I am done putting known pathological liars on camera and letting them talk because that is an insult to whatever remnants of, of, of self-respect I once had and whatever profession it is I belong to, which clearly in journalism. But I'm not going to do it anymore.
Mm-hmm. So the question then becomes, to in my mind, 30, 20, 30 minutes is, how are they going to lie about this? I mm-hmm. wonder what the lies will be. I bet I know. And if you take that reaction to how Republicans behave in public and string it back 30 years, that's how liberals have been for the last 30 years. That's why we're sort of inured to this. It's, well, of course they lied. Of course they of course they fucked up. Of course they, they're going to deny it. Of course... The, all the people that voted for George Bush are going to bail on it and invent some reason why they never heard of it. I wonder what that lie is going to look like. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's why um, I was I was fascinated by the actual grinding up of Donald Trump into meatballs and serving him on a tray to the audience by Hillary Clinton with a smile on her face the whole time. Um, and maybe we should get into just a little bit of how spectacularly bad this was. Because mm-hmm. it really mm-hmm. is, is different than anything else I've ever seen. Um, fat shaming people. Yep. On the stage. Yep. Um, yep. Well, and and before we get into that, because that's a huge issue. Uh-huh. Um, the the couple of things that happened, uh, where I want to talk about those rakes that that Trump walked into. Uh-huh. Very early on in the debate, Trump said, "Rich people create jobs." Right. And that's why we're going to give them a tax break. Right. He said that it was smart for him not to pay to pay zero in taxes, that that made him smart. Mm-hmm. He said and then with the fat shaming with the, this was so revealing to me mm-hmm. when he when she brought up the Miss Universe contestant, his reaction was so off, sort of forgetting that he was on camera. Right. Forgetting where he was because his reaction was. Where did you find her? Mm-hmm. And I thought, holy crap, he uh-huh. has been so blindsided at this moment yeah. yep. that he is not even paying attention to where he is nope. and that his microphone is on. He is accusing her. He is accusing Hillary Clinton and wanting to know where did he find, where did she find his secret? Right. Where did she find this right. so that he can hurt the person who revealed it? Right. And um, this issue with the fat shaming, I want to spend a few minutes on Please. because this he then doubled down the next morning on Fox and Friends on the absolute worst moment of any debate I have ever seen on YouTube on <laughs> live, you know, any any presidential race I have experienced myself or known about from history. He has he had no idea the pit he fell into. No, because women, as one commenter said, are just flesh envelopes for him. Right. And if they're not perfect, he just can throw them away. Exactly. Exactly. And he's done that twice uh-huh. <laughs> to a wife he didn't want anymore. And uh, now he is instructing his minions, including people who have horrible uh, reputations as far as their treatment of wives. Right. Newt Gingrich and Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, really, really, yeah. it's just, it's. Inc- He's instructed those two guys to go out and smear the woman who is who was fat shamed on camera, and they have video. Yeah. And so you've got, you know, Rudy and Newt and Trump. Yeah. The three musketeers of sexism. Yeah, just. Out this there, everything wrong with the '90s in one thing, package. Well, you know, she was in a porno. Yeah. 
And you know, she was involved with a guy who who demanded that she drive a getaway car for him. Right. Really? <laughs> you mean she had an awful boyfriend and some broke moments in her life where she went out and pleased men with her body again? Yeah, what, God you know? forbid. Wow. <laughs> I hope she didn't try to drive the getaway car across the George Washington Bridge, because I think that yeah. was the time when Chris Christie had it shut. Oh, that's right. Hey, next up is Chris Christie. Chris Christie. So, the but, but this issue is not going to go away. No. And this is going to be uh, the next 40 days are going to be uh, in the back of every woman's mind is I have to vote against this guy yeah. because fat shaming is the one issue that, believe me, and not to quote Donald Trump, but believe me, <laughs> believe me, affects every single woman in the Western Hemisphere. Every single woman. Let me tell you, many smart people in this house tell me that. <laughs> many, many smart people in this house yeah. tell me that. I hear that a lot. Yeah. And I, I, I have been on a weight loss journey in many, many times in my life, including now. And uh, it, it has been really interesting to me this time because part of the program that I have been in uh, involves seeing a social worker to talk about it and to right. figure out sort of how not to have all or nothing thinking, how not to, you know, make sure that you're sort of being positive about your uh, that it is a journey. It is not something that is, you know, you need to beat yourself up about and, and how to be uh, setting goals and so forth. It's just, it's really helpful to sort of think about it. And through this process, and I didn't go back and talk for 10 years about, you know, my first 10 years on earth and my mother and, you know, sort of getting, it wasn't psychotherapy, but it was just sort of attitude and planning and so forth. But one of the things that came up was how I felt fat at 17 years old. And this Alicia Machado was 18. Right. She became Miss Universe. Mm -hmm. And feeling fat at 17, which was 100 pounds ago, literally, uh -huh. you know, for me. And But it was also three kids ago. Right. And it was also, right. I mean, it was, you it know. It was a lifetime ago. Yeah, it was 40 years ago. So I'm, I'm 53 now. So. Uh, you know, it's a lot of time and it's a lot of history and so forth and so on. But the point is that when when you look at this beautiful woman, Alicia Machado, whether she's 125 pounds, which is the Donald Trump standard of beauty, yes. <laughs> or 160 pounds or whatever it is. There is no woman on earth who's going to look at her and and compare themselves to her and say, yeah, she's fat and I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one's going to do that. No. And so the fact that she, when you look at her, is too fat for Donald Trump, and he's patting himself on the back today for saving her job as Miss Universe by making her work out and shaming her into losing weight. On camera. On camera. Right. In front of a press, you know, in front of a bunch of media people right. at 18. Uh, this is this issue is just so um, kind of core to what people believe about themselves. It really attacks at the heart of womanhood. Yeah, it's it's um, and everyone that said that Donald Trump is the perfect opponent for Hillary Clinton is right. Is right. Because in, in, she's in that in that sense of just. 
yeah, this is the per this is the misogyny that has to be dealt with. And it is so extreme. It is Darth Vader extreme. You know, that's how bad it is. Yeah, he doesn't he he could wear a black hat and twirl a mustache and be less of an obvious villain of our story. And, And and here's the thing. That one thing in a normal universe would end this campaign. Oh, yeah. But it was one of dozens of utterly disqualifying fuck-ups and lies and just bizarre, rambling, discursive wanders down into some Mm cul-de-sac that this completely unprepared lunatic did in front of 80 million people. And then the next day he went in front of an audience of his people Mm -hmm. and talked about how what a fucking awesome job he did. And of course, being trained, you know, circus animals... They get up on their hind legs and applauded when they're supposed to and loved him. They love him so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but this is where it, it's important to understand who you're talking to. I, I heard people today talking about the undecided vote. And for <laughs> the first time, I heard people saying, I have no idea who the hell would be undecided at this point. Yeah. I have no idea yeah. how you can be undecided. Well, that's exactly what I thought in 2004. You know, yeah, well, but you... Frank Luntz found 20 of them, and by the end of the debate, 17 of them had said she won. Yeah, but they, that's – that's you don't understand, uh, honey. Uh, the, the, <laughs> Why the does next, you mansplain it to me? The next day polls are the accurate polls. The ones that where uh, everybody goes over to Drudge and clicks yeah. on a button, that over one? Over and over and over again all night long, <laughs> and you win with 120% of the vote. Yeah. Um, this is yeah. a case where, where the, the media collectively worked really hard to lower the bar into the dirt. Yep. And yet, this guy wandered on the stage, garroted himself on that bar, and then you burst into flames. You said he publicly shart himself to death. He I did. love that. Yeah. He did. Yeah. And, and he's going to do it again. Yeah. I have every confidence that he, because he is, sur- like every other asshole CEO or executive I've ever met, who, um, I, there are a lot of very nice CEOs and executives I've met over the many, many years, but the assholes always surround themselves with people who tell them what they want to hear. And Donald yep. Trump will not tolerate anyone <laughs> yep. within his hearing who doesn't tell him how awesome fucking wonderful he is, which is why his surrogates are these dead-eyed, soulless zombies. Mr. Trump did just such a great job. I can't imagine him doing any better. And yes. why they conflict with each other. Because there are, you know, there are two or three possible ways to lie about Donald Trump. You can say he never said what he said. You can say Hillary, but Hillary, but Hillary. You can say he yeah. just did a fucking great job. And when you have three or four surrogates out there lying in different tones, it gets very confusing. Because, well, I'm sorry, Rudy Giuliani just said he's not going to debate again because it's rigged. But asshole but number two he over said here. He's not gonna he's not going to rehearse because he won. Yeah, because he won. <laughs> and asshole number two over here said he did a great job and it wouldn't change anything because he was awesome. And... That's the and and this is you know this is a debate where he said look you know if I blow up a couple of Iranian ships because uh, I'm having a bad day that ain't gonna start in the war <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> and that didn't just stop everything like what the fuck did you just say um, and he's still gonna go over there and take the oil I'm gonna take the oil I'm gonna yeah. take the oil and ISIS uses the internet because of Barack Obama. And my son knows how to use computers, so computers, the cyber. Yeah. <laughs> the cyber is very it, just, it, it went on and on and on like this. And, you know, and when he got really deep, he said, call Sean Hannity. Call trusted yeah. newsman Sean yeah. Hannity. He'll yeah. tell you. He'll yeah. tell you. And it wasn't lying about subtle things that you could shade. It was lying about shit they had tape on from two days before. 
Yeah. And this is why he is the perfect, perfect Republican candidate. Mm -hmm. Because he really is an accurate reflection of the no-neck racist assholes who make up that party. Because they, too, change their lives in the middle of a sentence. They, yep. too, deliberately forget the past. When cornered, they, too, say, yeah, well, Hillary's worse. You know, Hillary, lock her up. They're, they really are a, a complete, they live inside his head. Yep. He yep. is their externalized ideal self bestriding the world, telling liberals to go fuck themselves. Yep. And that's why they, that's what's so completely confusing to the media. Because, and this is uh, what John Lovett, the um, speechwriter said. Speechwriter. Yeah, I want you to talk, talk about this. For Go Barack ahead. Obama. Mm -hmm. He was on the Chris Hayes show. And, and you know, I, I have a, a real serious problems with MSNBC these days. Well, I'm actually, I wanted to talk about that, too, because there has been sort of a shock to the system over at MSNBC uh -huh. in that TV newser uh, announced that they did a press release about their ratings and uh, it, some of this is not surprising in an election year, but another part of it is um, MSNBC is having their best ratings in some cases of their entire 20 year history right now. Uh -huh. um, the shows that are doing well, as you might expect, Morning Joe is doing well because that's sure. sort of their ratings behemoth in the morning. But the other two shows that are doing really, really well are Rachel Maddow and A.M. Joy on the weekends. Yep. A.M. Joy is beating that hour every other show in the network's history. <laughs> Joy Reid is doing better in ratings than anyone in that time slot in MSNBC's history. And the thing that I mentioned on Crooks and Liars today is we talked about this. Our, my editor, Carolee, talked about this a month ago and said the videos that are getting watched on Crooks and Liars in very large amount, very large viewership, are those where a host or reporter speaks the truth to power or speaks the truth to liars and lets them know they can't lie on the show. And that when the conversation is stopped and the person who is in charge of the microphone says, no, that's not true, you cannot say that, and actually becomes a referee between truth and false, true and false, those clips get views. And it turns out that that is a really good predictor for ratings mm -hmm. on television. <laughs> and... One of the things that's interesting to me, at, at, I read this um, when uh, Melissa Harris Perry was summarily <clears throat> let go for all kinds of reasons that we don't have time to get into. Uh -huh. um, but one of the complaints by the MSNBC brass about her was that her show, her clips and her videos were not getting a lot of playthrough on the website. Uh-huh. And I have a feeling that Joy Reid is, that she's getting a lot of social media attention. She's getting a lot of these clips being played over and over and replayed because, I mean, first of all, it's drama to watch that happen because right. it's novel at right. this point, And we wish it wasn't, but it is. It's novel to have a host say, I'm not going to, we cannot let the slander against Planned Parenthood stand. Right. What you're saying about Planned Parenthood is not true. Um, or you cannot 
come on my show and lie. And and when she does that, and she she does that consistently, and she does that from a standpoint of principle, and that gets viewers. It turns out that is something that people want. And this was yes. the argument that Carolee made a month ago: was look, please network people. You know, Chris Matthews, be aware, <laughs> wake up, and be aware that by simply having a principle that. You know, you might allow a certain amount of spin from people on either side who are working for a candidate. Yeah. But you're not going to let some person come on and tell you that the reason people are on welfare is because black people don't want to work. Right. I mean, that's just you're not going to let that go. That is not a standpoint in a political argument. That's just a lie. Well, can can I just... Yeah. I say, junior dude and I were talking so, on the way. I'm, ju- I'm just saying that I think there's been a shock to the system this week uh-huh. at MSNBC, where they're seeing, and and to some people at MSNBC, I'm sure it wouldn't matter if Joy Reid put a purple hat on if that got ratings. Sure, don't care. Don't, don't care. care what it is. No, you know, it's the substance I care about. You know, she's oh look, she's frying an egg while. You know, Corey Lewandowski is you know, <laughs> doing whatever. If whatever it is that's getting ratings, that works. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, yeah. Junior Dude and I were talking on the way to school today, and he's going to mm-hmm. write a he's going to write a restaurant review oh. on Saturday. He's been tasked with writing a restaurant review, and we talked a little bit about how you do that and how what subjects you bring to the table, and that the fact that there's a, another thing that they will make you do if you go into journalism, which is write obituaries. Yeah. Because there's yeah. files full of things that if somebody drops dead, you have, you're ready. Mm-hmm. But we talked about every news story is a narrative. You know, every time you can, you can just lay facts out if you want, but people read stories. Mm-hmm. Our oldest profession as a species, the thing we do better than every, every other species is tell stories. That's how we tell, you know, you know that's how we tell our fellow tribes people where the bison are. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the enemy is coming. You know, the, we are a storytelling people. It is our most ancient skill. And there is a wonderful narrative about putting <laughs> liars on trial, mm-hmm. calling them out. That is one form of narrative that you can have as news. And I would contend that is the function of journalism. Mm-hmm. The alternative one, the one that cowards use, the one that cable news executives use because they have to make money off of every time they, they, they put a camera on someone, is mm-hmm. never offend one side or the other. Right. Which structurally advantages the people who lie for a living. Absolutely. Because if you're gonna if you know you're gonna go on television and you can say whatever the fuck you want, and no matter what you say, the person across from you in the suit that looks like a journalist suit dressed up to look like today's Walter Cronkite will say, well, you know, Hillary's okay. probably just as bad. Yeah. You win. You yeah. win because your goal is to drive them down. Your goal is to convince people the government is a disaster. Your goal is to convince them the whole system's corrupt. And Chris Matthews will carry that water for you mm-hmm. because he can't say, no, the problem with the system is the Republican Party is fucked in the head. He has to say, well, you know, everybody's really terrible. Everybody's really awful. I'm like, well, Reagan and Tip O'Neill, if only we could have those days back. Well, th- again, he makes your case for you. And and that is watching news these days, by and large, is watching this parade of awful, awful liars who are pandered to. You know, the, you, the, Here comes, oh, look, it's Dana Loesch. 
followed mm-hmm. by Ann Coulter, followed by Mark Halpern, followed by Michael Steele, followed by Hugh Hewitt, all on liberal television. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. but into this this moment on the Chris Hayes show, where John Lovett, who was a, a speechwriter for Barack, a former speechwriter, said finally said true things on the air. And granted, he was he was preaching to the choir, but he said, "Look, if you wanted to understand, first of all." All these Republican critics, all these conservative people who are who are never Trump are all people who have nothing to lose. Yep. There's no bravery on that side of the other. There's, there's no moral authority. Have, all these people are either retired or never running for office again or have a sinecure somewhere that, that they can't be fired from. There, there's no downside. Or they have a very reliable middle right audience that will always be there right. regardless of what they say. Right. So they're, they put nothing on the line. The people who... <laughs> Who actually are running for office are all gutless we you know, gutless worms. Yeah. Um. And and the, the Republican intellectuals are all you know. David Brooks is never going to get fired, mm-hmm. so David Brooks can risk saying you know Donald Trump's pretty bad, but Hillary's bad too. Um. So he said there's no there's no there's no bravery on that side. There's no heroes over there. But he said what we learned in the last year is that. If you want to understand the Republican Party, the only people who got it right were liberals. Liberal intellectuals. Liberal, like, yeah. like you and me, baby. Yeah, like you right. and me. Liberal um, intellectuals got it right. Conservative intellectuals. And this, he really was comparing apples to apples. I want to be clear he, about he, this. Absolutely right. He yeah. was not talking about you and I and then the uh, Florida Trump voters at the no. rally nope. saying, nope. kill that beaner. I mean, he was not, you know, those two, he was not comparing. No. Those two people. He was talking about you and I and Talking Points Memo and yep. Digby and Versus. Crooks and Liars and those folks. Versus Jennifer and, Rubin and David Right. Brooks versus and, the the right wing counterpart right. in the blogosphere and, and analysts mm-hmm. who are looking at the election and trying to make sense of why Trump is winning. Right. And the people that got and and. I think there are two things at play there. One is our side is honest about who the Republican Party is and has been for 30 years, Mm -hmm. whereas the right-wing intellectuals cannot admit that this goes back that far because then they're complicit. And that's Well, that's the second thing he said. Yeah. The second thing he said was pretending that Donald Trump is this, you know, is this once-in-a-lifetime thing is ludicrous. Yeah. Donald Trump is the end result of 30 years of – the conservative movement and the Republican Party picking a particular direction they're going to go in and going in it, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and to pretend otherwise is just bullshit. And but and, I also think we have the natural advantage of being outside yeah. of the, you know, the cesspool. And when you're outside the cesspool, you can analyze things better. So I'm well, not going to take full credit I for am. our being a better analyst than the right because they're right in the middle of it, and it's their friends and it's their voters that they're talking about and. One thing you don't do is you don't attack your own voters, and that is a rule. I mean, then then that's a logical rule. But I love what you said earlier today, and I want to make sure this gets in the podcast today, (laughs) about two sets of books. Yeah. Because this this came up today. I was writing a post about this this part about Newt Gingrich and Rudy Giuliani and debate prep. And Newt Gingrich being the kind of analytical – uh, he is. I think you said that he he tests the room temperature, the yeah. intellectual room temperature, and finds out he's the smartest man in the room every single time. It's, it's which quite is amazing. Sad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Newt Gingrich wants Donald Trump to hire professional debate coaches mm-hmm. 
to show him how to stand and not lean into the microphone and what his body language should look like and what his voice should sound like and and go back to sort of these not not change the message mind you but sort no. of give him some a professional panache to his debate performance like don't play with your own poo on stage that's a good Rudy idea Giuliani, yeah pretty Giuliani said why would he change anything when he won yeah Exactly. exactly. And so mommy and daddy in the Trump campaign are fighting. Yeah. Um, but uh, the the fact that what your reaction to that was, well, there used to be two sets of books in the Republican Party. Sure. Republic, there absolutely Which is, books. you said whatever the hell you had to say to the racists and bigots in the Republican Party during the primaries. And you have that book out and you said that, you know, blacks don't want to work and young bucks and, uh, you know, whatever racist bigoted crap you had to say oh and during the iraq war don't forget liberals are are friends of terrorists they hate america they're stupid they're dull they don't support the troops they're un-american you just run the whole nine yards at them you just pour fire on them all the time that's one set of books the other set of books are are kept at the republican national headquarters yep and those are those are for the general election (laughs) well those are for those are the real facts yeah. Those are the yeah. ones that, like, you know, you cannot possibly make these numbers add up. So what are we going to do? The, the, we're losing in Iraq. Um, we're getting our ass kicked, and, and that is simply a fact. You can't deny it. Um, here are the actual poverty statistics. Here, you know, the one set of books is to get the yahoos and the bigots and the morons that make up the Republican base to come charging to the polls to vote to get the gays out of, out of, out of their, their hair. You know, don't let them gays get married. Um, uh, the Negroes are coming for my children. Uh, the, the brown people are, are scary. To get those rubes moving. But you had a second set of books that, that more or less reflected the real world. It was ideological. The solution to every problem was a massive tax cut and deregulation. At the end of the story, hey, look, at the end of this book, it's deregulation tax cuts too. Every book ends this way. But there was some cognizance that Barack Obama, for example was in fact born in this country or that George Bush said certain things that are on a record someplace that you can refer to or that you can't just invent trillions of dollars out of thin air, that those things are simply not true. And so all the lies you had to tell the idiots are something you're going to have to figure out how to govern around because you're interested in actually governing governing in a way that I think is vicious and evil and incompetent, but actually keeping the government running. And then one day, mm-hmm. the yahoos took over the party. And, they and burned, the Etch-A-Sketch got broken. I mean, they, well, they just took they, the Etch-A-Sketch and threw it out the window, right? They burned that second set of books. Yeah. They burned yeah. the ones that have the map back to the real world. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now they're simply operating from the textbook of crazy, bigoted, conspiracy nonsense that's their only roadmap. They don't know any other world because they've never heard of any other world because they've been steeped in this bullshit for 25 years. So, and those are the people who were never supposed to run the party. They're just cannon fodder. They're just, you know, the necess- they're democratic necessities. You need those people to get you into office so you can get tax cuts for your friends. And and we're going to hear a lot about that at the vice presidential debate. Yes. I promise you. Yes. Because are. Mike Pence is going to that is his he is the trickle down and across the board tax cuts guy. Don't 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 question yourself about that. That's going to be on there. Uh, I hope 
that it, I mean, if I was running that debate, I would and I was telling Tim Kaine what to say, I would just be looking across the aisle and saying, how could you, Mike? Yeah. How could you sign up with this crazy person? Yeah. You were governor of Indiana. And yeah. and yes, you made some mistakes. And yeah, I, there's a lot of stuff you did that I disagree with you. But but when it you know how legislation is passed, uh-huh. you know how government projects get built. And you know this wall is never going to go up. Yeah. And yeah. how can you sign up with a guy who promises things to pe- to to people who believe him? Right. And let him get away with it, and you become a part of that, and destroy your political career by we're, doing we're that. Both, we're both we're both we both go to church, Mike. We both know all. <laughs> of, we both know the whole book of Corinthians, all both of them. We both are men of faith. <laughs> How would you, you are sign segging, up? segueing into I do try. <laughs> Bible and, chart. And we both and how could you sign up with this degenerate lying crook? How yeah. could you do that? How how could yeah. you in good conscience do that? Yep. Um, I'm perfectly comfortable signing up with this nice Methodist lady. Yes, right. <laughs> who I think will do a pretty good job as president, and despite the fact that your party has screwed things up so magnificently everywhere. Yep. But this guy's just nuts and he's evil and you know it. And I don't understand how a person of your standing and conscience and background could possibly sign on with someone this degenerate and depraved and pathologically uh, a liar. Yeah, yeah, and just that, and just go there. Yep, um, and stay there, and stay there, and just keep staying there. How could you do it? So, uh, let's go ahead and do Bible bitch. Bible bitch. That's not scriptural. A couple things happened this week, uh, particularly yesterday, uh, where I was looking at uh, the video of the young woman. Her name is Ziana, uh, talking uh, to the hearing about the Keith Lamont Scott shooting. And Ziana is absolutely, if you want to know the kind of children that spend the night at our house over the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Um. We have the Rainbow Coalition at our house yeah. every yeah. weekend, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you and you were you and I were joking today because we were wondering if we could get our foundation to pay for the pizzas in the basement. Yeah, because they go to the Aut- Autism Society, right? We're they just going to call the three guys in the basement the Autism Society uh-huh. <laughs> because they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is absolutely what they are. And uh, let our foundation pay for the pizza. Um, but also we have uh, a, a group of young ladies that just look like America. They do. <laughs> come come they do. over. And uh, some of them are natural born. Some of them are adopted. Some of them are foreign adopted. Some of them are uh, mm-hmm. uh, actually uh, Caucasian. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it is uh, a From lovely, blended- lovely time. From single families and blended families and families families that are very extended and complex. And uh, they all intersect here. But when we saw Ziana speak and cry Uh uh, in front of adults at a formal hearing, um, it really made – it really hit home, I would say. The kind of courage that uh, she displayed was just terrific. And – so I so I, I was watching that, and then uh, something came across my screen about elementary school shooting. And I don't 
think you have ever pulled me away from a laptop so quickly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you you did. You really um, got me up out of my chair mm-hmm. and put your arms around me and said, no, you can't. You cannot be at this computer and you cannot be reading about this right now. And I was sobbing and I was just upset. And, and this was I had zero details about this. Right. Uh, at this point. No, zero. All I knew was One shooting more. elementary school. Right. <laughs> and that's all I needed to know to just lose it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went um, and sat in the bed and got out my Bible. And uh, you got you brought me a cup of tea. And I sat for 20 minutes, 15 minutes, and uh, opened it up and just started looking at stuff. Every single passage that I opened to was a description <laughs> of Donald Trump. I am not making that up. I kept reading to you. I kept I reading to say, look at this. Uh-huh. Oh, look at this. Oh, look at this. And it was just over and over and over again. Every single – I opened five different places and five different places. It was a description of Donald Trump. And, and the, the sort of – recognize this person when they come because they're very bad and dangerous. Yeah. And it was not subtle what was no. going on. So no. um, the one that I decided I would do uh, today is uh, should be very familiar to anyone who reads the Bible. It is Paul uh, in first Corinthians 13. I'm going to read it from the message, but it is um, – if, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, if you if you know it from the King James Version and have not love, I am nothing. It's that verse. But here it is in modern language. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly. (laughs) And the best of these three is love. So, uh... I read that, and like I said, you know, just the whole, I read that to you, and you went, oh, you're kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't always me first, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> These are the rules? And uh, I'm not going to say that it uh, distracted me from what was, what was going on in South Carolina with that shooting or with what was going on with Keith Lamont Scott and his death and all of the other deaths and what we have to deal with. 
But it did bring me back to the debate. And it did bring me back to what I thought was the real substantive answer that Hillary Clinton gave about police violence. Uh And her answer was wonky. And her answer had details in it. And here were the things, the steps that she was going to take to fix this problem. And Donald Trump's answer was law and order. Law and order, law and order, law and order. The fascist answer. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to say to our listeners and to myself is, yeah, damn it, this is a life or death election. Yeah. We We have a climate science denier running who who basically doesn't give a shit about anything except himself. And so he's going to put Mike Pence in charge of reproductive rights. Sure. And gay rights. Mm-hmm. And just just delegate that and let Hugh Hewitt choose the Supreme Court justices mm-hmm. and be the star of the show. And when it comes to decisions that affect who we are as a country, he's going to be in charge. And that means law and order. And that means being a bully. And that means making sure everyone bows to him and to white supremacy. And so it matters. It matters that we vote. It matters. That, and I, I'm, I'm speaking now to the choir. Turn around, turn to the choir. Now, <laughs> I know all our listeners really care about these things. Uh-huh. You're not crazy when you think, I just cannot watch that debate you're not crazy when you go to twitter and you say oh my god one more thing you know mm-hmm. you're not crazy when you have to leave it and take a break because elementary school shooting and you just can't uh we've got one candidate who is electable who wants to try she wants yeah. to try to fix it yeah and we have one candidate that just doesn't give a shit really doesn't care well and And, and i want to say one more thing sure you and i have said this i think for 350 episodes in one way or another Mm -hmm. the enemy isn't conservatism the enemy is nihilism yeah the enemy is it doesn't matter it doesn't matter government doesn't matter government can't do anything so we'll just it's all rigged and that's the message he's sending. He's not sending a conservative message. That's why all these never Trumpers are all bent out of shape. Mm-hmm. His message is it's rigged, and I should be in charge. Mm-hmm. So that's that's now I'm done. <laughs> and by the sh- and by the sheer force of my awesome personality, I will fix everything. Yeah, every dream you've ever had, which he literally said in his he literally speech said that. yesterday, yeah. I will make come true. Mm-hmm. And he looked yeah. at these this audience of desperate, angry, bigoted idiots and said, you're the smart people. You're the smart ones. Yeah. You're the smart ones. You're the clever ones. Yeah. You just love America. Yeah. Everyone else hates us, but you get it. You love this country, and you're the smart ones, and you know how smart you are. And it occurred to me, uh, the reason I feel tired, and the reason I think a lot mm-hmm. of our listeners feel tired, is that we are carrying the weight of both political parties yeah, in yeah. our party. Mm-hmm. There should be two healthy, contending, grown-up, political, at least two. I mean, if we had a parliamentary system, I'd say make it ten. But there should mm-hmm. be at least mm-hmm. two healthy, grown-up, adult parties contending over big, important issues. There are. Yeah. We have one party in which you can find 
uh, isolationists and expansionists. You can find people who are more globally trade-oriented, more local, don't do that sort of thing orientation. You can find every opinion you can imagine inside the Democratic Party, and that's a problem because that shouldn't be that way. We should certainly have a big party that invites everyone in, but really we have a sane party and a crazy party. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem that we, we have to find a way to contend with because it's a first order problem. If we don't find a way to get rid of these people electorally, to contain them, confine them, bury them under the electoral equivalent of, a, of 20 feet of concrete like Chernobyl, they're going to toxify and wreck this country more than it's wrecked already. Yeah, That's our first order problem. If these people are anywhere near the levers of power, nothing else gets done. Yeah, And the problem is they're not the Republican Party anymore. We're the Republican Party and we're the Democratic yep. Party and we're all those things. Well, and, and this is what I had to say to a lot of people on Twitter during the Democratic National Convention, because there were moments in the Democratic National Convention where a lot of my liberal friends on Twitter were really wondering what the hell they were watching. Exactly. We had the national security moment and the Bible moment and the Reverend William Barber you know, not just a prayer session, but an no. evangelical church shout out. Right. Uh -huh. This was church. Mm -hmm. And I kept saying to some of my folks on on Twitter of, no, look, we're the only ones left. So, yes, you're going to have the national security people come in. You're going to have the religious, uh, uh, emotional Jesus come to Jesus moments here. Mm -hmm. But our party is the one that is big enough for every single atheist listening to this podcast and William Barber. Right. And we have common ground on mm -hmm. which to work on problems and fix them. And I wanted to read um, something from Harvard Divinity Bulletin, if you don't mind. Oh, yes, Harvard, because we're not snobby enough. Which, which comes to the house, by the way. Uh -huh. Uh-huh. To my wife, who was a graduate of that noble <laughs> a graduate institution. Of that, that noble institute. Uh, and thank you for <laughs> deigning to talk to me this evening, my dear. Mm -hmm. um, there is a conversation in this latest episode, and it's online, so I can link to it as well. Uh, it is a conversation between E.J. Dion and Harvard Divinity School professor Catherine Breckis, uh, and they are talking about religion and the election. And particularly, they start off talking about Pope Francis and how, uh, you know, there's now a reemphasis of Catholicism's commitment to social justice. So, you know, and that has, is a huge change for the Catholic Church compared to previous popes. So they're talking about that. But when, then they start getting into the election. And there, were, there was a little paragraph here where E.J. Dion said something about Hillary Clinton. And I really wanted to make sure that you and I got a chance to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Uh he says, my view is that the way in which Hillary Clinton is most likely to solve her authenticity problem is if she comes becomes far more out front and embracing of her Methodist faith and its social demands. Mm -hmm. I believe that the old social Methodist in her is the deeply authentic Hillary Clinton. But it is something that her campaign hasn't conveyed very much. When she quotes John Wesley out on the campaign trail, she seems to light up. And I think voters notice that. 
Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. We have an election where the evangelical moment movement is split, where the Democratic frontrunner may find salvation through public engagement with religion, and where a Jewish socialist is heading off to the Vatican. This is back when Bernie Sanders went to the Vatican mm -hmm. to make a case about climate change and social justice <laughs> that is quite congenial to Pope Francis's worldview. Yes. In American politics right now, religion is working in mysterious ways. Mm -hmm. And I just love that, that I, I do think God is working in mysterious ways in this in this year. I mean, there's so much going on in terms of karma and and things coming back at the media and the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, too, that we all have something uh, to learn from. And so uh, I appreciate that. I did send him a tweet and say how much I appreciated what he said. And I, and I hope that we will see more of that. I mean, there's only 40 days left. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I, I think. United Methodist Women, that is, if you go, if you Google United Methodist Women and you go and look there, United Methodist Women is actually an organization, a yeah. nationwide organization yeah. of United Methodist Women. And what they do is just insane in terms of politics. They, right. dis, they decide on four issues that they're going to work on um, over the course of the next year. Uh, in terms of their mission work, uh, this year, one of the issues is mass incarceration. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you sit there and go, what? There's a group of church ladies that are going <laughs> to sit around and talk about and try to figure out how to solve the mass incarceration problem. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and if yeah, if you Google United Methodist Women, you can go and look at their issues. And they read books about it. And they have... Uh, session, and it's not just sort of talking to one another. They really talk no. about how can we engage our community to really talk about and solve this problem, these mm -hmm. these social issues. Um, so, yeah, I, it's, it, I think she could do more to come forward with that. And uh, it may be too late at this point, but um, that is her. That is the authentic Hillary Clinton. It really is, is that. That is that is why she is what she is, as she has always made an effort to make the world a better place because she's she feels that all of us have been put on this earth to do. And how does she put it? Do all you can with what you have. Uh, never quit. You know, she's got that that slogan. And, yeah. and that is that is straight out of Wesley. So well, um, she has that she has that uh, this very good commercial where they show her. This is Bernie Sanders' strength as well. Yeah. Uh, but in her case, it was showing her on tape, on film, going back to what must have been her college years. Yeah. Talking yeah. about children and talking about children's issues. and her, The consistency of her message. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. over the years, they, they, they managed to dovetail these speeches one into another into another and mm -hmm. show, oh, she's been working on this for 40 years. You know, yeah. and and she's been serious about it. And again, she has some serious flaws as a politician. And I have policy disagreements with her, but she's the only one on stage who isn't crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. to me is a rather big uh, uh, plus in her favor. And, yeah. you know, if if I cannot fathom. At this point, even my 20-year-old self who voted for John Anderson, I can't fathom looking at the choices of this election. Well, you know what? Uh, Gary Johnson. That's where I'm going to park my vote. I just, I, At this point, I can't imagine being that 
detached. Well, and and I could imagine voting for Jill Stein if she had made her um, candidacy about something other than the corrupt duopoly. Right. Because I think um, there are issues that are not getting addressed in this campaign, pr- pr- primarily because Trump is crazy. Uh-huh. Uh, if she had made her campaign about fracking, period, you know, I'm going to make this about fracking. And I'm going to make it about the earthquakes and the damage to the water supply. And uh, we're going to really talk about this. And we're going to talk about the environment because I'm with mm-hmm. the Green Party and climate change is part of that and fracking is part of that. And, you know, we're making so much money and we're making energy independence. And so everyone's just let the environment go to hell. And let's and my and my government is letting me down. Yeah. And, and our government an is letting us down about that. Yeah. If that had been her campaign, I know that middle child would have gone to her. Yeah. And that that isn't what happened. So um, and, and Gary Johnson, I mean, like I said to you the other day, you know, when edible pot is your breakfast of champions, which apparently it is because he's just not mentally present in these interviews. It's it's no. sad. No. Um, the the saying is do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can at all the times you can for all the people you can as long as ever you can. And that is a Methodist saying. Um, and I also thought it was ironic what you said about Donald Trump promising, you know, I will make all of. You know, all of your fantasies and all of your all your dreams come true. Right. Well, and isn't isn't that ironic that that's what the slogan of Pedro was in Napoleon Dynamite? <laughs> <laughs> if you vote for me, all of your dreams will come true. <laughs> I believe that was also the the fine print on the bargain that Doctor Faust signed. Yeah, 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 yeah. <gasps> all right, I think we're done. Yeah, it's <laughs> late and uh, we're out of time. Yeah. And I know there were. You're going to talk about the AG and, and Trump's razor. We can talk. Yeah, about well, that we'll find week. out more about that next week because it looks like the AG of New York may be able to shut down the Trump Foundation because he didn't have, he wasn't qualified by the state, the rules of the state of New York to collect money. There's a certain healthiness, I think, in a weird way, to us as a nation finally squaring off in this way, that that we really have a clear and bright dividing line now between. The people who are nuts and cannot be trusted with power ever again, and the people who have a who might have a wide spectrum of, of opinions about a lot of things, but who are fundamentally competent citizens who can make a competent decision in a democracy. And it's it's not seriously not since the Civil War or since civil rights um, in the sixties have has this country been squared off in such a clear way that here's one camp that supports evil things and crazy things and will will go to their graves fighting for those things and here's everybody else i did i did a i did want to do too also a shout out to josh marshall at talking points memo yeah with his he's been saying this for months but i didn't want to point out trump's razor if you haven't heard about it trump's razor is ascertain the stupidest possible scenario that can be reconciled with the available facts and that's what the trump campaign is doing um Right. That, that, that is a that is a riff on Occam's razor, by the way. Each week we post to our Facebook page and website an Internet Kitty sent in by you, the listeners. This week's Internet Kitty is Molly. Molly is a polydactyl, and she was rescued from a blizzard one day. 
uh, very lovable and sweet. And so she will take a sun bath in the house now <laughs> for the rest of her life. She's doing fine. <laughs> Good for her. Yes. You can send your Internet Kitty to us at our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com, where you can also write to both of us. Feel free to write us. We love hearing from you. Be aware that if you write us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email or U.S. Postal Service. Go Postal Unions! Letter on the air, unless you say otherwise. I'd also like to do a shout out to the AFL-CIO and to all of the workers at the Trump Hotel in Las Vegas who are asking for a boycott on Trump properties. The employees at the Trump Hotel in Las Vegas make $3 an hour less than other employees on the Strip. Really? And uh, Trump has resisted uh, unionization of that hotel, which is highly unusual. And uh, the uh, Culinary Workers Union is quite upset with him. And as you can imagine, I, as I said on Twitter, I just can't imagine what would happen if a Democratic candidate had employees that told the world that you should boycott that person's properties because of yeah. how they treat their workers. So. Uh, big shout out to them. And as I've mentioned, what would happen if a Democrat would construction? Mm -hmm. We have to retire that because it's obsolete. It, it is no longer possible to imagine a Democrat doing anything like any of this stuff. Yep. And and part of that is misogyny. The fact yeah. that he gets away with it is misogyny. So yep. this this particular year, don't they're forget racist, they're racist and misogynist. Yeah, they gal. get to be both both sides. Don't forget our gourmet coffee guideline. If you can afford to buy an espresso-based beverage for yourself, buy one for us. And don't forget our Amazon link at our website. We believe in buying local. And we also believe in shopping Amazon with our link if your alternative is a big box store. Approximately 1% of our listeners support this podcast with a contribution. You can too. See our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com for details. Both our PayPal and postal address information is there at professionalleft.blogspot.com. Please rate our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, and thank you for doing that. So, Drift Glass, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Oh, Blue Gal, the Internet Kitties are looking forward to a nice long nap during the vice presidential debate. Let's think about living. Think about living. Let's think about loving. Think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the popping and the loving, loving, loving. The Professional Love Podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license, copyright 2016, Drift Glass, Blue Gal Podcast.